So our summer series is called Journey, and we're thinking about a group of psalms that are in the, uh, in the Old Testament, middle book of the Bible, book of psalms, and we're thinking about uh, psalms for a couple of reasons. I suppose there's a practical reason, and then there's a more important reason. The practical reason is that over the summer, people tend to be away for some of the weeks, right? You may notice that we're about 20 people down today, and they're in Malta and all over the place. And so because people are away for different weeks, it doesn't work so well to have a series where each week builds on the week before. So for that reason, just practically, it's sort of a bit easier to just dip in and do some psalms. So whatever weeks you are here, they stand on their own. If you're here for several, they'll work together. It's, it's great that way. But the, the more important reason why we want to go into the book of Psalms is because the book of Psalms is an absolute gift to us. I've noticed that a lot of young people, young Christians and young people, sometimes that's the same thing, don't tend to have a deep affection for the Psalms. And I've noticed a lot of older Christians have a very deep affection for the book of Psalms. And what's the difference between young people slash younger Christians and old people who've been Christians for decades? It's the fact that life has happened. And when life happens and all the trials and struggles of health and uh, bereavement and death and you know, changes and threats and all the things that go on over the course of the years, when that stuff hits, I think Christians tend to discover more and more that the Psalms are a book for us. They're precious, uh, a precious collection of, of poems, of songs, about half of them written by King David and his life alone is it's just an overwhelming set of experiences. The other half written by a variety of others. In a way, it doesn't really matter who wrote them because what they give to us is they, they sort of give us words. They give us words to pray when we don't know what to pray. They give us words to make sense of our feelings when we can't make sense of our feelings. They, they give us a kind of a, a sense of the communication that can be going on between us and God in the midst of the mess of this life. As we're traveling the journey of this life, the book of Psalms can be a real gift to us, exactly what we need to be able to speak to God and reflect back to him how we're feeling in the midst of all that's going on. Now, within the book of Psalms as a whole, 150 Psalms, there's a collection of 15 called the Psalms of Ascent. And these, in a particular way, are focused on a journey because we think that these uh, 15 Psalms were collected together and were used by the Jews as they traveled to and from Jerusalem. So just a little bit of uh, kind of background on that. When God gave the, uh, the whole set of kind of ritual uh, worship rules and guidelines to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament... Uh, part of that were, was a set of feasts, parties, in fact, which is quite cool that God would build the calendar around a set of parties. But those parties, there were seven of them, three of them were the pilgrim feasts. That is, they were expected to come to Jerusalem and celebrate them together. Okay, so this wasn't like a stay at home, have a little quiet moment kind of a feast. This was a travel to Jerusalem, walk up through the hills, get to the city and be together with God's people, that kind of a feast. And there were three of those during the year. And I've been reading the Bible for a while, but I never really thought about why those three and what do they have in common? But I was thinking about that this week. And, and what's amazing about it is, is that all three are really feasts of remembrance. 
Now, I think this is important in the sense that when we think of pilgrimage, if we think of pilgrimage, it sounds very religious, doesn't it? Traveling somewhere, you know, putting aside all your uh, work and commitments and really being committed to going to this destination. It feels very religious, right? Like something that people would do if they're in a kind of intense religion. As if making that journey will earn merit and favor from the gods. But that's not the way it was for the Jews. All three feasts were feasts of remembrance where they got to celebrate God's salvation to which they had contributed absolutely nothing. And so it wasn't, I'm making the effort to make God pleased with me. It was, wow, God is so good. I want to make sure I never forget. Do you see the difference? It's not earning something, it's celebrating something already done. So there was the Passover in the spring to remember how God had rescued them out of Egypt. And then a few weeks later, there was Pentecost where they celebrated God's provision for the people, both of the the law, the, the word of God, but also food and the first harvest and all that kind of stuff. So there was a, a celebration of God's provision for the people that he had rescued. And then in the autumn, the other one, Feast of Tabernacles, that was to remember how God had protected them as they were traveling in the wilderness. He had rescued them. He had provided for them. He had protected them. And they got these three feasts every year where they could celebrate God's salvation and remember we contributed nothing. That's a lot like the Christian life, isn't it? We get to come to church and most weeks, we're not doing it this week, but most weeks we have communion and it's sort of a mini feast. Quite a disappointing feast if you're looking for a full stomach, but still, it's a picture feast, right? It's a, it's a, a feast where we gather together to remember God's salvation to which we have contributed absolutely nothing. It's not that we take the bread and the juice and we think, oh God, thank you so much for covering the 50% that I couldn't manage. I remember chatting to some neighbors, I think they were Mormons, we had a whole load of mixed religious neighbors where we were in the States a few years ago, and, and I was chatting with some Mormons on the doorstep, and I, I said, Jesus' death covers everything, and they said, no, um, Jesus' death covers the bit that we can't do. I said, well, that's very different, isn't it? Your salvation is based on sort of what, what percentage would that be? They say, well, it doesn't really matter, like the 3% we can't do. All oh, right, okay, so you're 97% of the way there, and Jesus covers the other 3%. Okay, for me, I'm 0%, Jesus covers 100%. Do you see the difference? And we had this back and forth discussion. So that, that's the reality for us as Christians. We, we gather together, don't come to church to earn God's favor. We come to church to celebrate God's salvation to which we've contributed absolutely nothing. And what's interesting as well is as you read through the New Testament and you read about the early Christians, they weren't called Christians to begin with. They were called followers of the way. Uh, When Jesus spoke to his followers, he called them followers. He referred to them as uh, saying to them, come follow me. There was this sense of a journey about being a follower of Christ. And so I think if, if, if we ponder it a little bit, the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms of the pilgrims of, of the Jewish people going up to Jerusalem each year, actually could be amazing Psalms for us as we live the Christian life, as we travel through this life on our journey to the new Jerusalem, 
to the city whose builder is God, the place that is our destination that the book of Hebrews talks about. We're all on a pilgrimage. We're all heading there. And as we travel, we will experience all of the the mess and the confusion and the darkness and the fears and the doubts and the worries uh, and just the struggles of the journey. And so hopefully as we go, the book of Psalms can be precious for us. It can be a help to us. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at one of the Psalms of Ascent. We're going to do about six of the 15 over the next few weeks. Feel free to grab a Bible. There's plenty around. And we're looking at Psalm number 121. In my Bible, that's page 516, which I think will be the same. Psalm 121. And what we're going to discover in this psalm as we look at it is God's care for his people, care for them in the midst of the problems of weariness and weakness and wickedness and waywardness and any other W's you can come up with. God cares for us. And this psalm is going to give us an insight. And I think, like every passage in the Bible, it's going to give us a key insight that if we can grab hold of it and ponder it, it will make a difference every day this week, maybe every day for the rest of our lives. Now, I'm going to have you look at the psalm, okay? It's, it's always tempting as the preacher to just go for it and let you have it, but, but I want to make sure that as a community, we are being equipped to read the Bible for ourselves, okay? And, and to, to learn to do that so that during the week, you can go, oh yeah, hang on, I I want to spend time in the Bible. And maybe you go back to this psalm, maybe you go somewhere else. But I want to give you the, what I think is the most important first basic beginner's lesson in understanding the Bible. Okay? It is very simply this. You need to see what's there. Okay? I know, genius, you're thinking, wow, this is high-level stuff. You need to see what's there. It's interesting, actually, a lot of people think that understanding the Bible is this really complex kind of science, you know, where you've got to follow these rules and you've got to get it all right. Most of the mistakes we make with the Bible, most of the mistakes that people make representing the Bible, people coming to our doors and trying to argue with us to join their church or whatever, most of the mistakes that are made are made not at the level of interpreting, they're simply mistakes at the level of observing. What does it say? What is actually there? And so if we can develop as a community the skill of slowing down and just looking carefully, we'll discover more and more of how wonderful God's Word is. And what I want to do to help us with that is looking at Psalm 121 just for a couple of minutes. I'll read it through and then I'll give you a couple of minutes just to look it over a couple more times. I want you to observe. I want you to look. And I'm going to give you two leading questions. All right, two questions you can kind of use in the future. The first one is, who is in this passage? Okay, so who's, is there anybody named? But not just anybody named. Are there any pronouns? You know what I mean? I, you, we, me, him, her, his, they, them. Any of those kind of words to try to figure out, okay, who is, who's speaking to who? What, like what? What's being said? Like, who are the characters or who are the, the participants in what's being said here? So, the who question. And then, secondly, are there any repeated terms? Okay, anything that's repeated, 
is usually repeated to get our attention. And so I'm going to give you the fun of finding what should get our attention in this psalm. Okay, so we'll put the psalm up on the screen at the front in case that's easier for you or you can look uh, in your Bible. Let me read it through out loud and then I'll give you a moment or two or a minute or two of quiet just to, to keep thinking, okay, who, who's in here and what's repeated? A song of ascent. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Okay, so just have a minute or two. Who? Observe, see what you can notice. If you want to whisper to the person next to you, hey, did you see this? You know, feel free to do that. And what's repeated. And then we're going to do a little bit of group feedback. And if you don't come up with anything, then I don't know what's going to happen. But no pressure. Nice and simple. Just a couple of minutes looking at the text. Okay, let's, let's share the wealth of our observations. Who do you notice here? What stands out or who stands out in terms of who is involved in the psalm? Any observations about the, the named people, the pronouns, anything like that? What do you notice? The Lord. The Lord. Yeah, that's always a good answer. So where's the Lord referred to? Verse 2 and then... What's that? Five, six, no, five, seven, eight. We missed one, though. Who, who's that in verse, go on. Verse four? The he in verse four, yeah? So, behold, he who keeps Israel, that's referring to God as well. Sorry? Yep, the he will not let in verse three. He who keeps you, verse three. Okay, any other observations? The which, sorry? I. Okay, so I in verse 1 and my, verses 1 and 2, do we see any more I's and my's and me's and myself? Okay, so the your, where does that start? Verse 3, your foot keeps you. Uh, Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper, your shade on your right hand, you by night, sorry, you by day. Verse 6, verse 7, you, your life. Verse 8, you're going out, you're coming in. Is there, notice the change? Verses 1 and 2, I, my, and then there's no more of that then it's you, your, 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 you, your, your, you, you, right? So if we move the slide forward just to separate uh, that out, isn't that amazing? So we've got kind of two, two chunks going on here. So we don't know who wrote this. It doesn't tell us this is David or Asaph or anyone else. So whoever the writer is, 
is presumably that's the person in verses one and two, the individual, right? I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Who's speaking from verses three to eight, do you think? This is guesswork. We're just trying to figure it out, try to imagine it, but is it the same person or is it someone else? What do you think? Could be the same person, yeah? Obviously, the, it's all written, so it presumably was the same writer. So it could be the same person. Could it be anyone else? Right, so it could be a friend reassuring the person in verses 1 and 2. Or it could be a priest, or it could be the community of travelers. We're not certain, but it's interesting once you notice that, that you start to think, oh, there's something community going on here. If it was I, my, in verses 1 and 2, and then it kept going, 3 to 8, I, my, the Lord will not let my foot, and so on, that would be very individual. But once you notice you, your, you, your, you start to make sense of it, you, you kind of have to have more than one person. So either that person in verses 1 and 2 is making a declaration and then is speaking to others, or, and this is the way I think it, it, it seems to be going, is that person makes a declaration and then other people are reinforcing it. That's a kind of a beautiful picture, isn't it? That on the journey... As an individual stands up and says, I'm going to trust in God, there are others around to say, yes, trust in God. He won't let your foot slip. He watches over you. He won't slumber and so on. And it's more of a conversation than probably you notice first time you read through it. There's, there's a back and forth going on. What about repetition? Do you notice anything repeated here? Keeps. Well spotted. Where's the keeps? Verse 3, 4, what's after 4? 5, yeah. 7, 7, and 8. So let's, let's flag up the keepses. Oh, beautiful. See, I knew what you were going to say, Dave. There are some other repetitions. Did anyone spot any others that they want to flag up? That's the main one. Say again, Jenny. Okay, yeah, the will shall not, the will, 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 yeah. There was another one, slumber, slumber and sleep, yeah, verses 3 and 4. There's a come, verse 1, and coming in, and verse 8. But the keep is quite startling once you notice it, isn't it? That six times in, in something that short is probably on purpose, don't you think? It's almost as if the psalm writer wants you to know what? What is he saying? Second? The Lord is your keeper. God keeps you. Something really simple, but you see you've discovered it just by looking and noticing what's repeated, and maybe the, the who's speaking can feed into it as well. But just noticing that... You can ponder that. Imagine doing that in your morning Bible reading and you spend a bit of time and you go, oh, hang on, I'm going to go back over that. Read it two or three or four times. Ponder it. Pray about it. You'll start to make these kind of simple observations where you don't, you don't go, oh, hang on a minute. I don't have all the knowledge that the preachers have. Don't worry about that. I can just look and see what's there. What's repeated? And then that fact that God keeps, God 
keeps his people. God keeps me. That's a truth that you can carry with you through the day. That's a truth that you can ponder, that you can pray about, that you can thank God for. And what I want to do is just walk our way through this. I'll, I'll maybe shine some, uh, shed some light on it, help us understand it a little bit more. That's kind of my job as a preacher, right? I've done the work to prepare for that. But what I'm nervous about, if I'm honest, and I was chatting with Andy about this earlier, was I, did, I said, Andy, the problem is I don't want to have people do some observation and then say, now check me out, you wouldn't have got this. You know, because what you've got already is enough to go through the day with. It's enough to ponder and pray about and meditate on and share with one another and speak to one another. It's enough. But as a preacher, I can add to that. And I think maybe the, what I can add to that is to take it from something that seems to be generally true, but maybe there's a problem. Maybe as you think about it, God keeps us. God watches us day and night. God is, God is protecting us so that things don't harm us. Amen. Praise the Lord. But sometimes Christians suffer harm, right? What about my friend whose son died in a car crash? What about, what about, what about? And so that's where I think my job is important this afternoon to say, okay, let's help, let me help you understand this and hopefully take it from a general truth that God keeps you that's generally true, but there are exceptions, to an understood truth that is absolutely certain. That's my goal. That's what I'm going to try and achieve in the next few minutes. Okay, and that's why we don't say, come to church on a Sunday, that's all the Bible you need. But equally, we don't say, read your Bibles at home and don't worry about Sunday because that's all the Bible you need. We need Bible reading and we need the preached word. For, to be a healthy community, we need both working together. So what's going on here? Verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Here, here's a person who is sensing danger. I don't think that this person is looking at the hills and thinking, oh, I love these hills and God is in these hills, that's not the way a Jew would think. That might be the way other religions or pagans might think, the gods are in these hills, but that's not the way a Jew would think. The Jew is thinking of the temple. God is in the temple. He's not in the hills as far as specific location is concerned. But geographically, as they approach Jerusalem, whichever side you come from, you're climbing. It's a couple thousand feet above sea level. You typically often would come up from Jericho's side, and Jericho is down by the Dead Sea, which is below sea level. So it's about 3,000 feet of elevation from the bottom of the journey to the top, and you're surrounded by hills. And in those hills, there's danger. There's mountain lions. There's wild animals like you know, mountain lions and things that can hurt you, and snakes and things. There's robbers. There's bandits. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. That's that road from Jericho up to Jerusalem. He fell among thieves and was left for dead. That was a very real and present danger for them. They lived with that sense of threat. And and we don't really, do we? We don't get up in the morning and think, oh dear, I've got to go to Morrison's. Hope I make it. I hope nobody jumps out and attacks me. Maybe you do have fear. You know, if you're walking at night as a lady, then you're probably right to have fear a little bit more. But typically in Chippenham, it's not, you know, terrifying zone, is it? But for them, a journey like that was absolutely terrifying. 
the wild animals, the bandits and robbers, and even more than that, the spiritual realm. You see, if you, when you read through the Old Testament, uh, as you're reading it through, you'll notice a reference to the hills. Something happens on the hills. Does anyone know what that is? Old Testament, the hills, the hills, the hills, under every green tree, on every hill. What's going on in Israel? Anyone know? Idolatry. And so the, these were the high places, the places where people would be worshipping all the other gods. And the gods like the Baals, the Baals, and the Asherahs, these gods were kind of frightening. The Baals are a set of Canaanite gods, storm gods, uh, that are very aggressive and powerful. They need to be called master. They need to be kept happy. And all of that stuff is going on in the hills. So actually, for a Jew, walking towards Jerusalem, lifting up his or her eyes to the hills, is actually quite an intimidating thing. There's a spiritual realm here. You see, we, we don't have that fear either, do we? We don't tend to think, I'm going to Morrison's. I hope that the other gods don't get me. That's not really the way we live in this country. Now, in a lot of the world, that's exactly the way people live. They wake up in the morning hoping that they can get through the day without upsetting any evil spirit, without upsetting any of the other gods, without upsetting the ancestors or whatever it is. And so people live, most people in most of the world live their lives terrified that they're going to be snatched, that they're going to be destroyed, that they're going to be on the receiving end of the unhappiness of other gods. That must be a horrible way to live, don't you think? Now, let me bring that a little bit closer to home because it is possible for us to have that same kind of fear. Let's put it into our terms, thinking about what we see on the news, it seems like every other week. Something that's very physical and threatening, human to human, often using guns or swords or knives or bombs, but something that's got a spiritual overtone to it that the God of that religion is threatening the peace and the safety of us. Do you know what I'm referring to? Whether it's a lorry, whether it's a gun, whether it's a bomb, whether it's a suicide bomber or whatever, there's all of these things. And it used to be in the Middle East only. Now it's in Europe and it's been in this country and it will probably increase in this country. And so fast forward five, ten years, we could be scared of going to Morrison's. It's possible. And that fear could be both physical, human kind of fear with spiritual overtones, and suddenly this psalm might become incredibly precious to us. In that moment, in that fear, the psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord. Not from something within creation, because within creation I feel incredibly threatened. My help comes from the Lord who created everything. The creator is greater than anything in creation. And therefore, I can have confidence. The Lord keeps me. God keeps me. The God who created everything keeps me. He cares about me. He's the source of help. He's the one I look to. He's the one I pray to. He's the one that I'm leaning on as I head out on that dangerous journey to Morrison's or as I continue on this dangerous journey through life. He's my source of help. It's a wonderful truth. 
And as that truth is declared, then from verses 3 to 8, the community can sing back to that person standing in trust in God. The community sings back and reinforces it. I love the beauty of that image that, that for us, as we go through our lives on our journeys, there are moments where, where we're facing something that we'll be scared of. And, and there'll be moments where we go, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then one and another can draw alongside and say, yes, he'll protect you. Yes, he'll keep you. And the truths of verses three to eight can come through as reinforcement. Now, let's see what these truths are uh, and ponder them a little bit. But keep in mind, I do know that Christians do get harmed. Bad things do happen. And I am going to explain that. Okay, that's we're going there. We're going to get there. So verses three and four. God will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God keeps you constantly because he never sleeps, which means he's never distracted, which means he's never careless. We do careless, right? I do careless. I, I, after 15 years of a perfect driving record, sitting in my car... Right? I checked over one shoulder. I was going to reverse into a space in Emory Gate Car Park. Check over one shoulder. Nothing's coming. Check over the other shoulder. The space is clear. And then I reverse about five feet into a column, which was in my blind spot that I carelessly forgot about. Just a moment of carelessness. And I'm now carlessness. <laughs> Careless to carless, just like that. Because that's what humans do, right? We make mistakes. We, we take our eye off the ball. We miss things. We fall asleep. But the shepherd that we've got never sleeps, never slumbers. He never sits down under a tree and pulls his hat down over his eyes just to rest his eyes. Like my dad always said, I'm not sleeping, son. I'm just resting my eyes. Our shepherd never does that, which means that there's never going to be a sheep that gets nicked off the side, never gets swiped when he's not looking. God never slumbers. He's never careless. He's never inattentive, which means that he can keep us constantly. Isn't that an amazing fact that our God is never for a second not looking? There's never a moment where we're vulnerable because God isn't paying attention. I think that's an amazing reality. Especially when you go into the world of the kind of the Canaanite gods and the religion of that day, their gods were sleeping all the time. Their gods were just kind of steroid versions of humanity where they'd kind of take naps and have a little kip here and there. And so even in the, in the prayer book, I was reading about a Babylonian prayer book where in the prayer itself, the prayer asks, how long until this God wakes up to hear me? How rubbish is that? A God who sleeps, remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? When all the prophets of Baal are, are kind of doing their chanting thing, trying to get fire to come down from heaven, and Elijah's mocking them and saying, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's you know, in the restroom. Maybe he's occupied. Get louder. Try harder. Come on. You can get his attention. And Elijah is totally mocking because that was a problem with the gods of that era. But it's never a problem with our God. There's never a second where our God is not watching us carefully. God keeps you 
constantly. Verse 5 and 6, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Notice how the constant is reinforced now. All day and all night, he never sleeps. All day and all night, he keeps you. Every danger during the day and during the night, he's protecting. Being damaged by the sun is very real reality in the Middle East, right? You kind of, sometimes shade will save your life because the sun is so powerful. God will be the shade to protect you from the very real danger of the sun. At night, they were afraid of being overly exposed to the moon. You might think that's a bit weird, but actually it's only about the last century or so that people have realized that actually being exposed to the moon doesn't harm us. For the longest time, moonstruck was a real issue. Lunatic comes from the word moon in in Latin, where people go mad at night. People thought epilepsy was caused by overexposure to the moon. It's only in recent times we've realized that some of that is absolute nonsense. But dangers day and night, real or perceived, God is the shade. He's the protector. He puts himself between us and the threat. And so he's constantly awake. He's constantly guarding. And then verses 7 and 8, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Again, reinforcing the constant care and keeping of God. Generally, this is true on a physical level, on a spiritual level. Generally speaking, God protects us. I think when we get to heaven, we'll discover so many times where we were protected and we had no idea. Probably get some angel that's going to come up to you and go, oh, I remember you. You were hard work. You were driving. Man, I was kept busy keeping you alive. Really? I had no idea. I thought I could drive pretty well. You know, so it, it may be that there's all sorts of things where God is protecting us that we have no idea about. Who knows what's going on in the spiritual realms around us? Who knows what the attacks are against us that we never sense because God is guarding and keeping? That is generally true. But, but here's the problem. What about when people get killed? What about when 20 Christians get led out onto a beach and they are harmed and God doesn't protect them? What about when cancer strikes? What about, what about, what about? I want to say to you that this psalm is not just a general truth. It's an absolute truth in this sense. Think of the book of Job. Remember the book of Job? It's a story of a man who loved God and worshipped God and lost everything. He lost his family, his children, his animals, his livestock, his farm. Everything was destroyed or stolen. It's a terrible story. But the amazing thing about it is in the book of Job, we're given a glimpse into what's going on in heaven that Job never had. And in heaven, there's this conversation where God says to Satan, hey, look at my servant Job. I like him. And Satan says, well, he's got it easy. Let me have a go at him and then see if he likes you. And God says, go on then but you can't touch him. And so he goes after and destroys and does harm. And then he comes back and says, yeah, but if I could touch his body, then I could. God says, go for it. Touch his body, but don't take his life. And it's, you get this picture of Satan like a, a, a rabid, angry dog on a chain, and God releases some chain, and the dog does some damage, but no more. 
And then God releases the chain some more and the dog does more damage. But God never lets go of the chain. Here's the thing that I think is so true, so absolutely certain in this passage. There is never a day in our lives where we wake up in the morning and need to fear that God will fail to keep us. God said in this world you will have trouble. It's not a promise that we will never suffer any scratches along the way, that we'll never be hurt, never get ill, never crash our car, maybe never be martyred or whatever. There's no promise of that. We will suffer. We will struggle. But the truth is that in the midst of everything that happens, God never slumbers. God never fails to give us his full attention, even for a moment. He never fails to keep us. And that means... No matter how much God releases the chain on Satan, no matter how much Satan is allowed to attack us, he's never allowed to have us. He's never allowed to take us, which means that when we wake up each morning, we can say, God, I don't know what today holds, but I know that you're in charge of it. And I thank you that I am not living terrified of being snatched away from you. Just think about what people go through in some of these other cultures and contexts. I'm making a journey. I don't know if I'll return. And the fear is not just, will I fall into harm's way, but actually, will the gods get me? Will the spirits be upset with me? Will the ancestors come and take me? And we never need to fear anything like that. Whatever happens, whatever we face... God keeps us, which means that as we go through life and we go through the journey that we're on, we know the destination, and the destination is certain. It's the New Jerusalem. It's the city with God and his people, and when we get there, we will never look around and say, oh, God, hang on, someone's missing, because I knew this person was yours, but and God's never going to say, oh, oops, I was hoping you wouldn't notice. Every single person that is his, will be there. Isn't that amazing? God never slumbers, he never sleeps. He's fully attentive by day and by night from today and forever, and he will complete what he has begun in our lives. And so, sure, we may face trouble, we may face difficulty, we may suffer along the way, but we never need to fear that the enemy can take us. We will never be a vulnerable sheep on the edge of the flock as God takes a nap and the enemy comes in and grabs us and takes us away before we can make a sound. That will never happen because our shepherd is a good shepherd. Fully alert, fully attentive, fully awake. God keeps you. So back to the main idea that we had earlier on. Uh, God constantly keeps you. That's basically what we found just by looking at the text. I've gone through it and I've added some detail and I think, I hope I've taken it from a general truth to an absolute truth alongside that general truth or underneath it that makes it even richer. That's the preacher's job, but now we get to take that thought away and ponder it. We get to take that away and thank God for it. To say to him, Lord, thank you that you constantly keep me. If I'm in the family of God, I'm in the family forever. 
And no matter what happens, no matter how much I suffer in this life, my destination is certain. And God is never going to apologize because I got taken out when he wasn't watching. Isn't that a beautiful truth? A truth that we can put into our hearts and we can stir and, and, and ponder and, and shake about inside and, and go, oh, Lord, this is amazing. And then we can respond in worship, responding in trust, responding with that trust that says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And we can also speak to one another and reassure one another. Sorry to hear that that's happening. It sounds so serious. But don't forget this. God is watching and God knows. Even if the diagnosis turns out to be worst case, it's ultimately not worst case because ultimately none of us can be lost if we're his. We can reinforce. We can support one another and we can continually place our trust in a God who cares, a God who keeps us constantly without fail. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the vast majority of the time we live in incredible comfort and we don't deal with the kind of fears that others do in other places. But Lord, we thank you so much that our security doesn't come from our culture, it comes from you. I thank you, Lord, that if we're yours, our destination is certain. I thank you, Lord, that whatever we face, we can support one another to look to you for the help that we need. And Lord, I just thank you so much that you keep us and you keep us constantly. Let that truth soak deep into the very core of our being, we pray, and stir from deep within us a response of worship and praise that we, the only people in the world who can go through life with absolute certainty, absolute security, absolute confidence, that whatever happens, our destination is certain. And whatever happens, you're watching and you care. Thank you, Lord, for your care and your constant keeping of us. We pray in Jesus' name with lots of gratitude. Amen.